morning and good to see everyone this morning. It's thankful that you're here. It's always good to be together uh, as Christians. We've got a large crowd that are at Polishing the Pulpit this morning, so including my family. So uh, we'll pray that all of them have a safe return back. As far as tonight's lesson goes, don't pay attention to what's in the bulletin. I changed it. I was working on this morning's lesson, and I decided I can't do that in one lesson. I decided I wanted to make it two lessons. Uh, so tonight will be part two of, of this morning. I, I want us to, to think about our lives just for a moment. And you've heard the statement made that life is what you make of it. And if we are honest with ourselves and we truly think about it, that, that's true, right? Your life, you can choose whether or not your life is going to be happy or whether your life is going to be miserable. You can choose to be bitter about things or, or, or you can choose to be thankful of things. I have known people throughout my life that have experienced just really, really bad hardships. I mean, just horrible things happen in their life, but yet they were always upbeat and, and thankful. And I've also, on the opposite side of the spectrum, I've experienced people in life that, that have honestly had a very good life. And it seemed like things have went their way, but yet they chose to be down and out, if you will, in their attitude. So you see, our whole life, everything we do, our jobs, who we have friends, just everything we do in our life, it is what we make of it. Brethren, do we realize that, that our spirituality is the same thing? I hope we do, because you see, our relationship with God and with our fellow man, our fellow Christians, ultimately is what we make of it. The title of my sermon today is, As Much As Depends Upon You. And my goal today, my, my plan was I was going to teach a sermon on Romans chapter 12, verse 18, but I decided I've got to go deeper than that. I've got to understand what Paul was saying when he said this in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. He was saying, in essence, you know, our relationship with God and our fellow man, in a lot of ways, depends upon us. He says, sometimes there's things, if it's possible, he says, sometimes there's things outside of our control, but we've got to look at what is within our control. This morning, what I want us to do is I want you to look, and I want me to look, at our spirituality. I want us to look at our lives as a Christian. I want us to look at how we feel about things here at Willow Avenue, how we feel about each other, uh, what do we get out of services, what do we get out of being here. Our whole Christian life as a whole, I want you to look at it this morning, and I want myself to look at it, and I want us to ask ourselves, is it as much as depends upon me? Am I doing what I need to do to get the most out of these things? Or am I letting and allowing outside circumstances to dictate how I feel? You see, there's always going to be things happening in our life. Satan is always going to be good at what he does, and he's going to throw roadblocks in our way. And, and Paul's going to say it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, you know, beware of the wiles of the devil. And we've talked about this before, like Wiley Coyote on, on Roadrunner, and he's always throwing a trap, but it's what we decide to do with it in our lives. 
You know, when it comes to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, when it comes to, to just practical Christian living, when it comes to, to how do I decide to do this, how do I make my Christianity the most it can possibly be? How do I get to the point in my life where I'm happy uh, in my life? I'm happy with my relationship with God. I'm happy with my relationship with other people. I'm getting the most out of it that I can possibly get. If I wanted to take you to one place in Scripture, this would be where it's at. This would be where it's at. You see, Paul, in, in the book of Romans, he spends the first 11 chapters, and man, he's hammering out doctrine after doctrine, and he starts, Gentiles are sinners, chapter 1. Chapter 2, Jews are sinners. Chapter 3, there's none righteous, no, not one. Chapter 4, he goes into the only way you can become righteous is God has to impute it. Chapter 5, we can only be justified by God and by the blood of Christ. Chapter 6, you're a Christian. You became a Christian in the waters of baptism. He just continues on and on with all of these things, building up to the point you are a Christian in all of these ways. Chapter 12, here's how to live it. Here's how to live it. Here's how to get the most out of your life to do what uh, depends upon you, and it always is going to depend upon you to get the most out of that very thing. So I want to go to chapter 12. We're going to do about half of it this morning. We're going to do about half of it tonight. Uh, that's my plan. And again, keep this thought in mind. It's as much as depends upon you. You've got to decide to do these things. I, I can't do them for you. Uh, Mom and daddy, they can't do them for you. The eldership, they, they can't do these things for you. In fact, God can't do these things for you. You realize that? You realize you've got the right in this life to be whatever you want to be. You can live this life and you can sit around like you're sucking on a dill pickle your whole life. I know that's probably not politically correct for a preacher, but it's true. You can live like that if you want to. You can be the most vile sinner in the world. God gives you that right. You've got free will. You can make whatever decision that you want to make. You've got to realize it all depends upon you. It depends upon what you're going to do with it. How are you going to live your Christian life? Let's open Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, he opens this thing up, and he says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let's go back to the beginning. Did the Apostle Paul have the right to command these things? Did, did God give him the authority when he wrote this down to say, I command you that you do everything I'm about to tell you? He, he had that right. He could have done it being an apostle. Uh, he was the one that was... And apostle, they were given the keys to the kingdom, right? They were given the terms of entrance. Whatever you bind on earth, be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, be loosed in heaven. That's what the apostles were told. And I understand that's before Paul, but that was the commission given to the apostles. But here's the thing I want us to understand. Our service to God, our Christianity, if it is simply commanded, what good is it? If you are a Christian and everything you do in your life is simply out of obedience to a command, what good is it? Well, what kind of service is that? What are you getting out of it? What do you feel inside of you because of that? It's empty, right? I can be like a robot and I can do what I'm told to do, 
But if there's nothing behind it, what happens? Well, isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? He begins, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and, and I have not love, what happens? He says, I'm sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. I'm like a little two-year-old banging on some toy. And he said, it's useless noise. It's no good if it's not from the proper motives. He goes on to verse 2 and he says, well, what if I've got all faith and I can prophesy and I've got enough faith to remove mountains. I've got all the knowledge you could imagine. He said, if it is not from a motivation of love, it's not any good. Verse 3, he says, well, what if I give everything I own away to feed the poor? And what if I give my life in essence? He says, give my body to be burned. But I, I have become a martyr for Jesus. He says, if, I, if it's not from love, no profit. It's absolutely useless. So you see, we understand when Paul begins this, he's simply saying, I'm, I'm begging you. Hey, live your Christian life voluntarily and willingly. Live it because you want to live it. He says, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God. I want us to understand that he starts this thing, I'm begging you to willingly and voluntarily live this life. And here's your motivation. The mercy of God. You ever considered that? What's mercy mean? Mercy means God doesn't give us what we deserve. If every person in here is honest with themselves, what do you deserve? What do you deserve? I want to read something for you from the book of Lamentations. You don't have to turn if you don't want to, but Lamentations chapter 3. I want you to see what Jeremiah said. Verse 21, he says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. He says, when I start thinking, this is what I think about, and this is why I've got hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. He says, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Is Jeremiah correct? Is it not because the Lord is merciful to us that we are even here this very day, that we can take this next breath, that we can eat a meal at lunch, that we can have a family, that we can, everything we've ever enjoyed, even the hope of heaven, is because of the Lord's mercy. And if that doesn't motivate us to, to want to be His servant, to want to, to put as much as we can possibly put into our Christianity, I, I don't know what does. You see, because that's what it all has to stem from. He says, I beg you, brethren, I beseech you, brethren, and you let the, motive, or the mercies of God motivate you. He says, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Who do we belong to? God, right? We belong to God. He says, I want you to present yourself to Him. He says, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And what he's doing, he's appealing back to the Old Testament in which the priests, they offered sacrifices, right? The priests, the people would bring the sacrifice to the priest. The priest was the only one authorized to make that sacrifice, and he would kill that animal and give it to God. But yet, under the new covenant, aren't we all priests? Isn't that what 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says? 
We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's what he says. So therefore, under the new covenant, every one of us are a priest. Therefore, each, each and every one of us are authorized to worship unto God. And what God wants is you. What God wants is me. He says, I want you to present yourself to Him. In fact, go back to 1 Peter 2 verse 9. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. Look at that, I peculiar people. The word literally means a people for His own possession. You as a New Testament Christian, you are God's special people. God has chosen us. Not that He predestined us, but when you submitted yourself to the terms of entrance into His kingdom, He chose us to be His special people. And His special people, He has special things for them to do. I want you to think back again to the Old Testament. God's chosen special people, they were the Israelites. Did the Israelites have certain things that, that they couldn't do or could do that other people couldn't? Yeah. And we can look at a ton of different things and, and just think, I mean, the Israelites, they couldn't even eat things that other nations could eat. Why? Because that was God's rule and they were His people. And God wants His people to be different from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Israelites, they couldn't intermarry with, with the people of other nations. God, He didn't want that. He wanted to keep the, the lineage pure uh, for sure, because Jesus was coming through the lineage, but He wanted His people to be different. He tells us today, Paul says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to be God's special people. Your life belongs to Him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Set your affections on things above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, Set your affections on things above, not upon things of the earth. Verse 3 says, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, well, then we will appear with Him in glory. You died to yourself when you agreed, when you made the covenant, you signed your name on the dotted line, if you will, to become a Christian. You agreed to give your life to God. You, you, you made that promise. And the Bible describes it like a, a marriage vow. We are married to Christ when when all of us that were married, we said those vows before God. We made an agreement. I am going to belong to this person. I'm going to be one with this person. In essence, when we became a Christian, we told God the same thing. So God, I, God, I'm with you. God says, therefore, I want you to present your bodies to me. But I want it to be a living sacrifice. In other words, I want you to live for me. You don't live for yourself anymore. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, the Bible says. All those old things, they've passed away. And everything's become new. You're different now than, than you used to be. He says, I want you to live for me. He says, I want you to be holy. Holy is, is just do the things that God does. To live your life as God would have you to live. I want you to live acceptable to God. I want your service for God to look down upon us and, and to be pleased with us. For God to be happy with us. Don't you want God to be proud of you? Every person, you wanted your parents to be proud of you. You want whoever it is to be proud of what you do. Don't you want to live where God can look down and be, 
can be accepting to Him. That He will accept what it is that you are doing. He says, this is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. He, he says, this is, this is a service that is based upon sound reasoning. It's not simply, maybe you would say, ritualism. Do people today attempt to serve God through ritualism? Yeah, it's just, I do the same thing at the same time, you know, of every week, and really don't put any thought into it. It's just simply robotic. That's not reasonable service. That's not logically thinking uh, service to God. So it's not uh, ritualism, and it's also not emotionalism, where it's simply all based upon how I feel about something. We got way too much of that in the world. Nothing wrong with emotion, but it can't be solely based upon that. It's got to be in the middle there. I'm going to do what God says, and I'm going to do it for the right reason. I want to please Him. It's reasonable. It's reasonable. It's rational, if you will. Maybe it would be a better word to describe it. A rational service. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, when you present your body a living sacrifice, you've got to realize you can't be conformed to the world any longer. You see, sometimes the world gets in the way of Christianity, does it not? Does it not as a Christian, and I'll be the first one to admit, are you more desensitized to things of the world now than maybe you were 20, 30 years ago? Yeah, we all are, right? Man, we live right in the middle of a wicked society, and if we're not careful, that society... You know, it, takes a, it makes an impact in our lives. It takes a toll on us. And sometimes we conform. I guarantee you our young people right now accept more things by far than those of you that are older ever accepted when you were young. Why? Because more and more the world pushes it, pushes it, pushes it, and, and sometimes we conform. We just kind of buy into it, and if you hear it enough, I've heard it said before, if somebody told you the, the sky's orange every day for years and years, what are you going to eventually think? You're going to buy into that idea, right? You're going to buy into that idea, and that's what you're going to think. You see, Christians can't be worldly minded, but we've got to be spiritually minded. I want us to, and I've told you guys this before, in Genesis chapter 12, a simple statement is made. The Bible says Abraham pitched his tent and built his altar. Now think about that. Where was Abraham's mind? Hebrews 11 says he looked for a city that's foundations. It's a spiritual thing. It's not something on earth. So on earth, Abraham pitched his tent. If you pitch a tent, what, do you, what is that? You're a sojourner, right? You're going to move. You're, you're, not, you're not putting down roots. But he built his altar. If you build something, isn't that permanent? Isn't that a sound structure? You see, Abraham was not conformed to this world. He didn't look at things sometimes like we do. Sometimes our minds are clouded by all the worldly things around us, and sometimes we want to be like the people around us, and that gets us in trouble. I'll give you an example. 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel had no king, right? God had done well with the people. God had provided 15 judges to help the people and to bail them out every time they got themselves in trouble. But Israel, they, what did they say? We want a king. God says, I'm your king. What do you need a king for? 
Why did they want a king? We want to be like everybody else. Everybody else around us has got a king, so God, we want a king. God says, okay. Samuel said, oh, God, they're, they're rejecting me, God, and I, I've tried to work with these people, and what God tells Samuel? They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. They want to be like everybody else. God says, all right. You want to conform to the world? Okay. You can have it. How'd that work out for them? It didn't work out for them, did it? You see, when we want to be like the world, we're in trouble. So we've got to make up our minds as far as Christianity goes. I'm going to be different than everybody else. It may cause me some hardships. It may cause me to be mocked and ridiculed and, and all of those things, but that's what they did to Jesus. I'd been good company, and that's okay. He says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. That word transformed literally is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 17 when it talks about the transfiguration. Same word. So the word literally means to change from one form to another. Paul says if you want to get the most out of Christianity, he says transform your thinking. Jesus would tell us on several occasions the things that a man does are the things that proceeds out of his heart. And his heart is his biblical heart, which is his mind. And he says the things you put into your mind, they're going to come out of your body. They're going to come out. So if we put filth into our mind on a regular basis, what comes out of our lives? Well, it's filth, right? You remember verse 1, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. He didn't say present your mind. Verse 2 is talking about our mind. Our bodies does what our mind tells them to do. So if I'm going to be not conformed but be transformed, I'm not going to look like the world. I'm not going to sound like the world, and I'm not going to act like the world. I'm going to be totally different, or at least try to be. And here's the thing. You're not going to transform anything overnight. Do you realize it is a lifelong process? The word transform, again, to change, that's what repentance is, right? Repentance means to change the way you think. Do you repent and you're done just like that? Friend, I'm going to tell you something. We, we mess up sometimes. Sometimes we think repentance, you walk down front, you sit on the front pew, you say, I'm sorry, somebody prayed for you, and you repented. Well, okay, you did, but is that the end of it? If it is, you're better than me. If you can cut it off just like that, whatever it is that you're struggling with, you're better than me. You see, it's a process. In order for me to change the way I think, that's something I may have to work on my whole life. It's something I may struggle with my whole life. It's something that, that, that I truly want to master in my life. He says, you, you, you've got to transform. You've got to realize that, that you've got to be different. You, you can't be just like everybody else. And when you do so, he said, you will prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove literally means to, to test God. If I'm going to transform my mind, this would be, I promise you, this will help you more than anything else. Start looking at things the way God does. You say, I don't understand how God thinks. I don't, I don't understand completely how God thinks either. But do you realize most of our problems comes when we start reasoning with our human intellect? When we start reasoning with our human intellect. You know, we read through the New Testament and we read nine different times God says, I want you to sing. I want you to sing from your heart. I want you to give all of that to me. 
And not one time does it say anything about an instrument, but what do people say? What do people say? They struggle with that, right? Why? Is it because the Bible's unclear? No, the Bible's clear. What's the problem? We don't think of it like God thinks of it. God says, I want your heart in my service, in your service to me. But we say, yeah, but God, you don't understand. It sounds better, and you've given us this talent and ability, and, and people are more involved, people like it, more people come to services. What have we done? We're conforming to the world. Well, we're not transformed. Our minds are not focused on what God says. And, and you can go down the list of all of these different things when it comes to, to modesty. Why is modesty such a hard problem in today's society? Because we want to look like everybody else. We don't want to conform and change the way we think to what God thinks. We simply want to be like everybody else. We don't want to go to school or go wherever it is and to be looked at like a weirdo. We don't want that. You see, because we're not thinking like God thinks. We're thinking like we want to think. And that's the problem. And until we learn to transform our mind and realize God knows best, I have heard brethren so many times through the years argue with God, in essence. Well, I know the Bible says that, but that doesn't work anymore. You're telling me God doesn't know what He's doing. You can argue with Him all you want to. I promise you, you'll lose. You'll lose. Verse 3, He says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more than he ought to think, but to think soberly according hath God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. Paul says, I want you to realize if you're going to be a church, if you're going to be a group of Christians that God wants you to be, if Willow Avenue is going to function unified, if everybody's going to be able to get along and work together and, and accomplish the things set before us, man, verse 3 is going to have to apply. Paul says, I'm going to say through the grace given me, he's going to remind us, Paul knew and Paul understood that everything that he's ever done, ever will do, his position that he held was because God was gracious. Because God had given him those things. God had put him in that place. God had made him what he was. He says, I know that. And we've got to understand that too. He says, we can't think of ourselves more highly than we should. Is pride sometimes a problem in a church? Is pride sometimes a problem in our life? Do sometimes or do we come across as arrogant? Sometimes do we think we're better than other people? Sometimes do we think our feelings matter more than other people? Our opinion matters more than other people? What we want in whatever it may be matters more than other people? Paul says you've got to get rid of that. You've got to get rid of that. He says you cannot do that. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goeth before uh, destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. All that's going to do is cause problems. James says you humble yourself and God will lift you up. But listen, there has to be some sense of confidence. We've got to understand that we can't just think of ourselves as absolute scum. He says don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So therefore we ought to think of ourselves in a confident manner. If God has given you an ability to do something, you've got to have enough confidence to do it, but, but don't overcompensate. Don't try to, you know, to, to again think that is better than everybody else. The church at Corinth had those problems. People had abilities to do things, and man, they thought they were better than everybody else, and what did it cause? Absolute chaos. Envy, jealousy, 
division. There wasn't unity. That's how he started the book to the Corinthians, right? There's divisions among you. Can't have that. So we've got to, to think soberly. That's what verse 3 says. Think soberly. Think about it and be real about it. Your Christianity. Realize who you are. Realize who you are. God's given you something you can do. Verse 3, God's got to every man a measure of faith. God's given you something. You realize what that is. And you be you. Verse 4 and 5, he says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. He says, I, I want you to think about this thing as being Christians. I want you, Willow Avenue, to think about this thing as being a congregation of God's people. He says, you're members one of another. You're members of one another. He says, you belong to one another. You are part of one another. We're a family, right? We're a family. And, you know, within a family, how do we treat each other? Maybe that's a bad, you know, illustration. Sometimes in families, we treat each other really bad. But we shouldn't. We shouldn't. But here's one thing. Even in a family, even if we do treat each other bad, what if somebody else treats their family bad? I heard a story one time about two brothers, and those two brothers were fighting, fist fighting. And they had a problem with well, a little partying. But they were fist fighting, and the police showed up, and they broke up the fight, and one of the policemen hit one of the brothers. Oh, that ended it there. Then both of them teamed up on the policeman. It was okay to hit each other. Nobody else messes with my family. Nobody else. What if we had, I guess maybe that's a bad illustration, but what if we had that same attitude with each other, that we loved each other so much that nobody else messes with my family? What if we had that same attitude? What if we loved each other that much? You think things would be a little bit different? You realize that, that we need each other? We need each other. You realize that, that I need each one of you. I need you to have my back, and in return, I need to have yours. You see, there's all kind of in the world, and even in the church, there's all kind of gossip and backbiting and, and all of these things. And what would happen if we as a family put a stop to that? What if you hear somebody talking about your brother or sister? The reason I made the illustration that I did was for this very reason. What if you hear somebody talking about your brother or sister in Christ? What if you put an end to it? What instead of just following suit, what if you took up for them? Think things would change? Things would change, wouldn't they? You see, because we don't do a good job at that. I say we. I didn't say you. I said we. We don't do a good job at that. And, and sometimes, again, we, we, just, we don't think of ourselves on, on a level, even playing field. Sometimes, again, it comes back to verse 3. We, we've got these bad attitudes, and, and sometimes we think that, that we are irreplaceable and other people are not. Let me tell you something. Nobody's irreplaceable. As a family, when somebody goes down, the next one steps up. And I was sitting here over here in my pew before I got up here, and I was thinking about that. You know, when I was thinking about not being irreplaceable, do you realize Jesus was replaced? I'm not saying nobody, no one could take his place and do the things that he did. But Jesus knew he was leaving. And he prepared the apostles to do what? 
I'm going to be gone. You're going to pick up where I left off. And he also said, you're going to do greater things than I did. You're going to do greater things. What did he mean? They were going to go more places. They were going to convert more people. Why? It's all because of him. But he realized he didn't have to always be there. And we've got to realize this in a church. We are a family. We work together. And there's going to be people coming and go. But there's no one that's irreplaceable. There's no one that's irreplaceable. All it means is the next member of the family steps up and does what it is that he or she has to do to get us through. Isn't that what happens in our personal families? If we lose a member of our personal family to death or or illness, whatever it may be, what happens? The rest of the family has to step up. Brethren, we've got to realize that. Well, we can't check out. Sometimes within a church family, when, when people aren't happy with with maybe what's going on, what do people do? They check out. They say, I'm done. And they just simply show up and and that's the extent of it. And what good is that? What does that accomplish? All it does is hurt the people around you. That's all it does. It never does any good for anyone else. It's time that we step up as a family. We are the family of God. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 15. We're the family of God. We are joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8, verse 17. We are brothers and sisters, the Bible describes it as. And it's time we start acting like it. It's time we realize that that God has given us a job to do and get rid of all our petty differences and just do the job. Be Christians. Be a family. Love each other. We're going to talk about that beginning tonight. He goes on, my time is gone. My time is gone. But, but verse 6 through nine, six through 8, he says, I've given something to each one of you. And whatever that is, and man, we've talked about verse 6 through 8 here several times. Whatever that is, figure it out and do it. Whatever it is, figure it out and do it. Be the best Christian you can possibly be. Be the biggest asset to Willow Avenue you could possibly be. Don't check out. Don't bury your talents. Don't dig a hole like the one talent man did, put it in the ground and say, I'm not going to use it for whatever reason. Don't do that. That's not going to help anybody. It's only going to hurt. You see, these are very, very practical things. And like I said, my time is quickly coming on, or at least I thought it had. But you see, being a Christian, it's not that difficult to understand. And you realize if we would just swallow our pride, and we would make it our motivation, our goal, to be that, to be that Christian. To be somebody that, that the person sitting across from me, behind me, beside me, wherever it is in front of me, is proud to say they're my brother and they're my sister. We would be those people. You realize the church could accomplish so much more. If we were truly united, if Christians were truly united, What happened in Acts chapter 17, verse 6? They were talking about Christians. They said they turned the world upside down. They changed everything. Why? Because they let go of all the things that held them back. And they were just Christians. And they worked together. Brethren, that's what we need to do. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Just let it go. Let go of you and grab hold of Him. You can be that person. We'll continue that tonight starting in verse 9. This morning, if you're not a New Testament Christian, I beg and plead with you to be one. Be part of God's family. Be part of God's family just like we're in the book of Romans. Chapter 6 tells us 
Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Well, you, you can give your life to Him in total submission and be baptized in that water. Come up out of that water a new creature with hope. and You can belong to Him. Be a Christian. Most of us are Christians. I want us to think about our lives and I want us to think about the title of this lesson. As much as depends upon you. Answer the question. Your Christianity depends upon you. My, mine depends upon me. What am I making out of it? Are you making Willow Avenue better today? Or not? If you're not making it better, what's the other option? We don't want to be on the other side of that, do we? This morning, if you're not the Christian, God would have you to be. If you've checked out, you've just kind of stopped. Maybe you just just quit. Just let go. Maybe you've been bitter and, and angry and whatever it is. We've got a lot of things going. I understand that. We're, we're in a volatile time right now. I understand all of that. And that doesn't stop Christianity. Never has stopped Christianity. This morning, if you need to respond, why don't you come while together we stand and sing?